0: Hello, I've got a question for you. If you are looking out your window and you see a person slip and fall and groan in pain, what are some of the first thoughts and feelings that are going to go through your mind? I'll give you a moment. And now let's take scenario number two. What happens if you are the person that slips and falls? For many of us, the response to the first scenario will be one of initial compassion, concern, and perhaps even wanting to go and check if the person's okay or needs help. Somehow, for ourselves, for many of us, the reaction will be, Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. What a klutz. I hope nobody saw me. I hope nobody noticed. Why the great disparity? What makes it so difficult for us to be our own good friends? We know how much it hurts to beat ourselves up. I'm an idiot. I'm disgusting. I'm not lovable. I have to wear a mask because if anybody gets to know the real me underneath, they're going to reject me. And even if that's not how we feel most of the time with most people, if we ask ourselves What we tell ourselves at our worst moments, it's going to be very illuminating. Why do we do it? And as soon as we ask ourselves that question, it also usually brings more self-criticism. Oh my gosh, I guess I am so mean, even to myself. And we beat ourselves up for beating yourselves up. We beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up. I'm saying it again on purpose. Somehow, in the vain hope that that's going to stop us from beating ourselves up. What might it be like to take a step back and give ourselves some slack? What might it be like to impart self-compassion, to treat ourselves like we are our friend? to treat ourselves like we would to anybody else who fell without judgment, without agenda, just because as fallible human beings, sometimes we're not totally in balance. And whether that means physically, emotionally, or spiritually, we're fallible. We've got strengths and weaknesses like everybody else. We have better moods and worse moods like everybody else. And we have successes and failures like everybody else. Taking risks can be very, very difficult. And sometimes we want to avoid taking risks because we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect ourselves from that vulnerability. But imagine what it would be like to take a risk. With this growth mindset, as Carol Dweck puts it, that taking risks is part of growing. And it's okay if we're wobbly. And it's okay if we fall. And it's okay if we need training wheels in the beginning. And it's okay if we need support. When I was a principal for elementary school, one of the first things that I said to the students and the teachers on that opening assembly, after doing the welcoming words, is I asked everybody who was going to make a mistake that year to raise their hands high. And of course, my teachers cooperated and raised their hands high, as did I. And of course, that freed our little first graders to raise their hands, too. To make school, to make work, to make our own hearts a place where mistakes can be celebrated as learning opportunities could free us to learn and to embrace the learning process until we reach mastery. And mastery is not defined as perfect, because perfect goes together with anxiety. It's unattainable for a human being to reach perfect. And so as long as we hold that to be the standard, we are doomed to fail, and we are doomed to continue feeling badly about ourselves, and letting ourselves know how badly we feel, which we all know how well that works. And then we're limited, very limited, because we get to a place where all we can do when we're so upset is fight, flight, freeze, or submit. And when we fight in this context, what we do is we beat ourselves up emotionally, We use cruel language to cut ourselves down. We have a new definition of autoimmune disease where we attack ourselves. Or flight. We become anxious or restless. We run away from ourselves perhaps by numbing ourselves or using constant distraction as opposed to sitting with ourselves and allowing ourselves and inviting ourselves to be in the moment, and feel what we feel, not running away from it? Or are we stuck in freeze, where we get stuck like a computer that's frozen and jammed no matter how many keys we press, and all we do is obsess or ruminate and lament our perceived inadequacies, and tell ourselves that nobody can possibly understand our pain and nobody can possibly understand what it's like to be us, or what it's like to be in our shoes. Or fourthly, we submit, we admit that yes, we're terrible, and we just lie there and accept all the harsh judgments that we throw at ourselves. More often than not, We engage in some combination of all of those strategies and our stress levels go up and our cruelty to ourselves continues and we flood our systems with adrenaline, with cortisol and that's a double whammy because then when we criticize ourselves, we are both the attacker and the attacked. What a burden for the brain to deal with. And this type of chronic stress only leads to anxiety and depression and undermines our well-being. When I was speaking to a client last week, a client who's been through a history, a tremendous history, childhood abuse and neglect, and unfortunately, then again in her marriage as well. And we were talking about self-compassion. And she was downplaying self-compassion. Well, that's not a surprise. She had been well-trained. And it was interesting because I heard in the name of one of the top trauma therapists in the world that self-compassion is the main key for trauma recovery. And without that, without that, we just can't do it. We need to like ourselves. Let's not misunderstand. Self-compassion doesn't mean go ahead and be a victim. Go ahead. You have no accountability. You have no responsibility. Just go do whatever you want. What can anybody else expect from you? No, that's not self-compassion. That's called despair. Self-compassion means I understand why you would feel that way. Anybody in your situation probably would feel similar. I understand if you need a few moments. I understand if this is painful. It's allowing ourselves to feel what we feel. And then as we go through that, it's inviting ourselves to say, and what would a friend need in this situation? What might you tell a friend? And how might you be your own friend in this situation? What might you tell yourself now? And the research shows us that the more we give ourselves that self-compassion, the more responsibility and accountability that we can take for our behavior. Because then that's what happens when a friend builds up a friend. It helps us to validate. It helps us to believe in ourselves. And yes, it helps us to fall off that bike, cry, wipe ourselves off, and get back on the bike until we master that wobbly two-wheeler, and it's no longer so wobbly. Self-criticism is most probably the tragic expression of an unmet need. That is in the words of Marshall Rosenberg. It's tragic because it makes us feel horrible, and it doesn't effectively motivate productive change, but the need underneath is when we call ourselves names, it's because we want to do better. It just doesn't help. Compare this to a chicken soup that's bland, and the only spice we have in our spice cabinet is salt. Well, when you sprinkle a little bit of salt, it helps, but if you keep only sprinkling salt, which is all the salt in the salt container can do, eventually, it's not going to help. It will become inedible. That's what self-criticism does to us. So yes, does our inner critic who says, get off the couch, you lazy person, care about us? Absolutely. It wants us to exercise. It wants us to be healthy. It wants us to be productive. But the way it's doing it hurts us, causes so much pain, and is demotivating and demoralizing at best. And so we need to fill our spice cupboard with other spices. It's not letting ourselves off the hook. Sometimes people say, but isn't it just making excuses? Isn't it just rationalizing? When I say, well, it's only human, maybe I'm not taking personal responsibility for my actions. But let's look at this more closely. First of all, isn't it strange that admitting the fact that we're flawed human beings is perceived as not being honest? What part am I not getting here? Isn't that the epitome of honest, to acknowledge that we're human and that we are fallible and that we're not always gonna get it right? Maybe the real flaw and the real lie to ourselves is to tell ourselves that if only we keep trying harder and harder, we will be perfect. Maybe that's the real self-deception. So should we abandon all our efforts to do it right? And be responsible? Of course not. Admitting that all we can do is our best. All we can do is learn from the past. All we could do is acknowledge our strengths together with our weaknesses and have the satisfaction of working on the process and seeing the growth and liking ourselves in the process, because that's part of what nurtures us to grow and to improve. Those are the conditions for growth. Think of a plant and think of a child. How do we grow? What makes us acknowledge to ourselves? One of my favorite examples happens with the policeman. Think of the possibility of these two contrasts. Scenario number one, policeman pulls you over. No driver's favorite moment. Most of us have had it at least happen once, if not more. License and registration. And then we see the contempt in the policeman's eyes, and perhaps a sarcastic comment like, Don't you people believe in the rules? You've been exceeding the speed limit. How many of us, in the face of that criticism, think to ourselves, He is so right. I need to really work on my driving. That makes me want to improve. And how many of us would concentrate that mean? policeman. He should be fired. Ask ourselves, in scenario two, if the policeman would say, ma'am, I hate this part of my job. That's not really what I signed up for. I signed up because I want to protect my community, and I put myself at risk every day. Unfortunately, though, part of my responsibility involves pulling people over who are exceeding the speed limit. And today, that is you. And wouldn't that allow, in a non-critical place, for us to say, I'm sorry, officer, you're right. I was in a hurry. And I guess like every other driver who speeds, I was hoping not to get caught. Of course, I had no intention not to be safe. Because that's not how we looked at it at that moment. But in the face of compassion from others, we grow we improve, we acknowledge, we take responsibility. What makes us think in the face of compassion in ourselves, it's going to be any different. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.